Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. I cooked a turkey. I had some family over. And as I mentioned before, enjoyable conversation because my family who used to be uber progressives have now slowly been coming around to libertarianism, which is just awesome and makes for uh, much better conversations around the old Thanksgiving dinner table. But I hope you're still stuffed with turkey and good cheer as you join me for this Electric Liberty Land. Thank you for coming. Please tell a friend. Please tell uh, a loved one even because you never know what will happen. And hopefully they all made it through the Thanksgiving weekend. Hopefully they didn't get their third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh booster, which has been getting some difficult uh, reactions from people. I know my boss got very sick, tell you that one. But of course, I don't want to talk too much about COVID since I think we're just finally allowed back on YouTube after they slapped us down for another 10-day, 12-day ban for saying something that didn't go along with the wisdom of the cathedral and the COVID cultists out there. So I don't want to go too far down that because I don't want to get another ban so soon. <laughs> let's let's ease into it, like going into a, you know, a hot tub, you know? I'll slowly stick my toe in and then eventually just jump in and get another another full ban. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully you guys didn't have any issues getting together with family from some of the crazies that refuse to sit down at the table if you haven't had your vaccine. And of course, with Auntie Karen checking everybody's vax pass at the door. So welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the holiday. Now, one funny thing talking about the vaccines, though, before I jump into the, jump into the show, prim- uh, bleh, 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 the show proper, gotta love that. I'm not going to stop and re-record though because I hate doing it. So until we get into the show proper, where I'm going to bring in Connor Boyack, who of course is the creator of the Tuttle Twins for a really interesting interview. Um, I did want to share this one little piece of news is that I'm talking about boosters. We're coming off of Thanksgiving where God King Fauci allowed us to get together. And apparently now the Omicron variant is out there. It's whatever. It's, it's a, it's a bug. It's spreading like a bug. What are we what are we supposed to expect? I mean, it's doing the exact same thing that every virus throughout history has done, which is get weaker, spread faster, kill less people, hospitalize less people, which is exactly what it's doing. But yet Biden shuts down the borders. And ironically, shuts down the border to Africa. Nobody's calling him racist. <laughs> like they did with Trump. Nobody's calling him xenophobic. Because Trump shut down, you know, coming from China, which is where the theory still sound uh, that uh, the virus originated in the Wuhan lab but we don't have conclusive proof, but now not a peep when uh, the travel between Africa and the United States is shut down because that's nothing to to hoot about. That's nothing that the leftist media could find problems with, of course. But Pfizer's CEO just came out there and he said, well, we should expect that COVID boosters are going to be the norm. Every year, another COVID booster shot. So just get ready. We're setting the stage. There's so many billions and billions of dollars of profit we made here. Now that they've got the vaccine passports, now that they've got the tracking apparatus in there, it's not a surprise that they're going to want to use it. They've got this ability to control people, to monitor where they're going to, who they're having contact with, Not even down to the, the technology that tracks what your cell phones are doing at protests, that geolocates to see who you're at when you're at protests or at social gatherings. They've got this technology, of course. They're the government. They're going to use it. And just like I've said a million times before, when you allow the government to have this type of power, when you allow them to put these systems into place, they never roll them back. It's here. And unless we do something pretty radical about it, like vote all the bums out, like stop complying completely and just say no, finally, 
They're just going to keep pushing it. But I am white pilled on this. I think more people are waking up. And as you will hear, I have a uh, my guest today, and the Teller Twins TV show is reaching kids in a brand new way. We're going to talk to Connor Boyack, as I mentioned. I'm also going to get into a little bit of the uh, Maxwell trial, what's going on there with the uh, the mistress slash the. I don't even know, recruiter-in-chief for Epstein and uh, and everything going on with that trial at the very, very start of it, of course. Kind of an odd circumstance to combine those two, I know. Going from a kid's show into another uh, less fortunate circumstance involving children. But such is life, such is the new cycle. But before we get into that, guys, I have to tell you about our sponsor, I Trust Capital, the number one. Roth IRA crypto trading platform, not just for IRAs, by the way, for just crypto trading. You know, they've got the lowest transaction fees, instantaneous. They are fully transparent and they are now getting rid of all of their monthly fees. That's gone. Thing of the past. Kiss goodbye. Just kiss your grandma goodbye after Thanksgiving. Kiss that goodbye. Now you can get in here. You can get this number one trading platform, right? They've got 25 different options for crypto where you can put them in your account, in your IRA. You keep them tax-free. You take it out later on when you retire. Keep that safe from the sticky fingers of the government. Or should you decide, you can trade it right there. Trade them, keep them, you know, do all your dealings there. Bring in gold, bring in silver. They also have hard currency options. But they got rid of their monthly fees. And now when you sign up, when you make that first deposit to get your future secure, they're going to give you $100 of free Bitcoin. Tell me a better deal because I don't know one. So check them out, guys. You can go to itrust.capital slash lions i trust dot capital slash lions get on in there use that link you get your hundred dollars of free bitcoin make sure you can keep your assets your future safe and get into that crypto market because it's going to be a lot less volatile and a lot more profitable i would argue again no promises here you know they saw you invest in something you take the risk but then keep your money in let's say the stock market which could crash at any minute or keep your money in your mattress <laughs> Gold bullion, one of these things. But check that out again. I trust.capital forward slash lines. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into my interview with Connor Boyack. All right. So I am joined today by Connor Boyack. And Connor, of course, is famous for the books, the Tuttle Twins books, which have sold over 2 million copies, which have been read and read and read and passed around in libertarian circles, uh, much to the joy and excitement of parents that are sick of having this. Crazy brainwashing content put out there from all these other sources. So very excited to have him on the show. Connor, welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's it's exciting. And this actually comes at a perfect time. Um, you know, I want to I want to hear about how the Tuttle Twins came about. I want to hear about the the segue into the television, because for me, kind of something that I've been focusing on is the influence of culture through art. And obviously you agree with this in that art is a, uh, is a definer of culture. It leads culture in so many ways. And libertarians are always on the very, very back end of influencing culture. So um, yeah, let's start off with just how did the Tuttle Twins books came about? And of course, you've also got the Libertas Institute you're working on. So tell me a little bit about your background, what inspired you to do these, uh, these two different initiatives and how they've really come to fruition. So I set up uh, our organization, Libertas Institute. It's been about a decade and we're what's called a think tank. So we exist to kind of persuade people to repeal certain laws and pass you know, better laws and protect the free market and, and protect our rights. <clears throat> so we operate in initially in Utah. Now we work across the country. And uh, for the first few years, I had, I had very young kids. So about seven years ago when the Tuttle Twins started, 
um, I found myself, you know, I, they were five and three and I would come home at the end of the day. And like any good dad, I would be, you know, tell me what you did today. And what have you been doing? And my five-year-old every once in a while would reciprocate the question. And he'd be like, dad, what did you do? And I'm like, uh, type on a computer. Like, how do you, how do you talk to a six-year-old about socialism or an eight-year-old about fighting eminent domain? Or you like, how do you do that? So I went on Amazon trying to find books that would teach these ideas. Elijah, a friend of mine, he had young kids at the time. And we were talking about, hey, it'd be uh, fun to work on a project together. We start banding around this idea of a kid's book. And we thought like, look, if we only ever do one book, what would be the book that we would want to do a children's version of? And for both of us, it was The Law by Frederick Bastiat because it was mm -hmm. such a powerful essay um, for both of us. And so that was our first book. And we had no vision of, it was always like, yeah, maybe we'll do a second book or yeah, yeah maybe this will go somewhere. But there was no like master plan. There was no vision. There was no nothing. And, uh, and so Basically, we filled a massive void in the market that we didn't even really know about other than us being dads wanting to teach our kids these values. And I mean, there's books on potty training and the birds and the bees, like anything you want to teach your kids, there's a book for except for freedom seven years ago when we were first getting started. And so uh, we yeah, we just started doing one book after another. The market was gobbling these up and saying more, more, more. And so uh, now seven years later, we've published uh, I think over 20 books, we sold over three and a half million copies. We translate them into like 15 languages. So Elijah oh, and I are like full time and then some just cranking out additional content because, uh, there's such a strong demand right now for it. Well, I see the big board behind you. I'm presuming this is planning out the next uh, series of episodes, something along those lines. <laughs> the master plan. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I have a daughter right now who's, she's almost two. And so she's a little too young yet for me to talk about, you know, to bring the Tuttle Twins to bear because she has no attention span yet. You know, it's just baby shark all the time. But I had that similar feeling of, you know, watching so much of this content and, and I had on the Sesame Street episodes and the old ones, you know, fine. But even the newer ones, I can't let her watch it because it's just this unbelievable nonsense they're pushing nonstop. So I look forward to bringing her into a Tuttle Town and uh, introducing her to the twins <laughs> as she's a little older. But something I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, you said there's a, uh, there's a marketplace for these ideas. There's a marketplace for this content. Yet there is still, even after the books have come out, there still is a dearth in the marketplace. Um, you know, when, when we're talking about even getting the books made, the initial book run, did you have, you know, did you shop it around to major publishers? And the same thing with the series. Did you take it to major publishers? Was the door slammed in your face and you said, I just have to go it alone? Or how did you, how did you shop it? And then how did you get, eventually come to get it to come to be? This is a fun story. So when we first got started, we looked for a publisher. I had already written a few books myself. And uh, my first two books were done through a publisher. And then I had self-published uh, one or two books. And so I was a little bit familiar with both worlds. And we took the concept to uh, political publishers that do, you know, like Republican, conservative, yeah. you know, freedom related stuff. And they'd say, hey, cool concept. We just don't do any kids stuff. And then I take the book concept to uh, to the children's book publishers out there, and they are saying, "Oh, this is interesting. We just don't do anything political." And well, so, so we were so kinda, they think, right? Yeah, so they think totally, they're just doing political right. shit all the time and not knowing it. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing uh, overt. It's all sinister, right. and and you know, uh, don't go through the front door. Go through the back door where yeah, they exactly. where they don't know. So that kind of forced us to go independent, which I'm very grateful for because we basically control our entire production process. We fulfill all the books ourselves. We have total control. Um, over the whole process, which helps us, you know, reduce costs. I have a warehouse that we have like 40 people working there right now, just packaging Tuggle Twins orders every day. That's awesome. Um, and so, uh, so the control has been very great to make sure, especially in the world that we're in now, that we're not at the mercy of too many other people who, you know, make a decision we don't like or want to impose some type of burden on us. And Elijah, his background is actually is an animator. And, uh, yeah. and so we had always wanted to get into cartoons. We always liked this idea. Elijah at one point illustrator animated like a little two minute short uh, that we could then use to try. We tried fundraising, going out there and finding funding ourselves because, you know, yeah, we could go to the you know big boys and train the Netflixes of the world. And, but then we felt like that is such a left dominated world. And, yeah. and this is such an important message that we don't want to be at the mercy of some studio that wants to water it down if they would even consider it in, uh, in the first place. So uh, there's actually this new show that came out a year or two ago called the chosen uh, which is about Jesus and the apostles. And through the Christian world, it's spreading like wildfire because it's really high quality content. But what they did different is that they went completely independent. They raised money directly from supporters and people who liked the concept. They produced it entirely themselves. And then they partnered with a company called Angel Studios to do all the distribution and the marketing. You can watch it for free. There's no subscription. There's no nothing else. And they are getting tons of eyeballs. You know, download the app. Start watching today. Well, the team uh, behind that, the Angel Studios uh, marketing and distribution team, I know all the people who work there. And uh, and they their kids read the Tuttle Twins books. And so when they were like, huh, what comes after The Chosen? Like, we want to you know do more content. And we were over here, Elijah and I, like, oh, we want to do a cartoon. Uh, it was a, just a natural symbiotic relationship uh, to say, like, this allows us to still go independent, to control the message, to make sure that only like-minded people are, are really kind of having an ownership stake and, and taking this where it's going to go. And so it was a good relationship to trust someone with that project to be able to help bring them on the team and get into building cartoons out as well. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that the uh, the Angel Studios, I'm not overly familiar with them until basically now, you know, when I started looking into the background and who was uh, producing Tuttle Twins. Well, I guess you guys are producing it, but they're aiding you or Somehow, I guess the relationship is uh, designed, uh, but it, it is interesting that they're that they're leaning that way or that they are libertarian in philosophy. Because I know I was just talking to some of my my partners here at Lions of Liberty. I do a right now it's an audio show called Do Nothing Man, and basically it's a very sarcastic liberty centric superhero. You know, the idea is better to do nothing uh, than go out and make all these horrible laws and you know infringe on people's livelihood. So. That's the core concept. And we've been talking about how to animate it and if we should go the fundraising route or crowdfunding or Kickstarter. So it's interesting to hear there are studios out there that are open to that type of content. I mean, for the for the animated show itself, did you do this? Did you just say, screw it, we're just going to find this one studio that makes sense for us because you knew the guys? Or did you actually still try to shop that around as well, especially off the background of selling so many millions, you think somebody would go, well, this just makes sense from a monetary standpoint? Yeah, no, we we did not approach other people, nor were we approached by anyone else. As I said, Elijah and I were trying to forge our own path and kind of do it internally and realize like this is just a beast of a project. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. it involves so incredibly many people for 
the motion design and the storyboarding and the sketching and the voice work and the editing. And the, like for the book, it's like Elijah and myself and then a little support team and some vendors who then go print it. But the cartoon is such a significant project requiring yeah. a ton of people. And so uh, once we kind of hit our heads against the wall going, trying to, to do it all internally, that's right when that conversation started happening with the Harmon brothers, where there's just a deep level of trust there. And they had proven themselves with The Chosen. It was doing really well. They had this big vision for the show. And our, like the vision for the show is reaching 100 million kids in the next decade, which is ambitious but doable with this team. And then what we like on the book side is that the cartoon can become, if you think of like the sales funnel, right, where you go reach your prospects or your leads, and then you nurture them down and educate them more until finally they become a customer and, and make that decision. Well, so too with the cartoon, where we can reach a ton of people with this fun, funny, silly kids cartoon that has a little bit of an educational thing in there. And then it's like, oh, hey, these are based on books. Do you want to learn about the books? And then we can kind of guide them down, go get the curriculum, go listen to their podcast and all that stuff. So it's a good kind of recruitment arm for us to spread the ideas even farther than the books are doing, but then lead people to the books so that they get that deeper knowledge as well. Yeah. I mean, and you know what? It is funny too. I mean, you mentioned the show. It, it is, it's cleverly written. I enjoyed it. You know, I was watching the first episode on the, you know, the YouTube live stream. Is it all going to be on YouTube as well as the app? Or are you trying to wean people onto the app solo and kind of leave those as tempting? Episodes You're exactly like, right. Yeah. The first, yeah, <laughs> the first several will be out there on social. And then it's like, if you want yeah. more, you got to come download the app. Yep. Right, yeah. But I mean, I'll play a quick clip um, from this, actually. I want to show, just to, you know, to give people an idea that are listening along or, or uh, watching. Unfortunately, YouTube has banned us for the next 10 days for, you know, who knows. But uh, I'll just show a little clip here and play this fast for you guys. So. Hi, Tuttle Twins. Uh, hi, Karen. Want to buy some lemonade? It's pronounced Karen. That's what I said. And I don't buy lemonade. According to Section B, Clause W, Paragraph 16 of the Cul-de-Sac Kids Club Laws, the president, namely me, gets lemonade for free. The Kids Club president gets to drink all the lemonade she wants for free? Now and always? Amen? Amen. What? No fair! That's stealing! Uh-uh-uh, Ethan. It's not stealing if it's a law. And we <laughs> voted on it. So there you go. So there's there's a little taste, right? I just it's you know it's it's funny. It's got it's got the point in there. You know, it gets that kids going. That's not fair. And also, I love. I didn't. I chose that one just because it was uh, the center of the episode. That episode one really centers on laws and fairness and, and good bad good and bad laws. But also, you didn't get to meet the grandma in that clip, who's uh, a funny old broad with the time traveling wheelchair. And I loved her. You know, comes in and the first thing she says is that. Uh, the uh, the neighborhood organizations are all communists, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's it, it was entertaining, and I think that's something that really, I guess, we're getting better at it. You know, the memeing community is getting better at it. We're all, you know, I, libertarians are trying to trying to learn how to make comedy, but I think it goes a long way too towards breaking the stereotype that libertarians can't be entertaining, that we aren't creative people that can do this type of content and can make it approachable rather than just yelling at people and kind of jamming it down their throats. I think you're exactly right. And I think it's, you know, I think a lot of libertarians go through this maturing process where you go from kind of the infighting, navel gazing, you know, let's shoot one another and have purity tests and everything to be like, 
wait a minute, is this how I want to spend my scarce time on earth? Or do I actually want to like go educate people who don't already agree with me 99.5%. Um, and so like I went through that process and really began to realize that like preaching to the choir is great. We need to do it. And, and here's a, a way for the choir's children to kind of mm-hmm. grow up in the choir and learn these ideas too. But like, we're never going to win and we're never going to make progress if we're confined to the people who already agree with us and their kids. We have to find a way to make our ideas appealing and palatable and enticing um, and empowering, right, to people who don't already agree, or maybe even just generic conservatives who believe in freedom but have no clue about anything substantive beyond just, you know, America and wave the flag and whatever. And so there's a lot of opportunity out there. I mean, easily half of the audience that reads the Tuttleman's books would never call themselves libertarian at all. And yet they're reading kids' books based on and containing the ideas from Atlas Shrugged, anatomy of the state, you know, Ron Paul's foreign policy of freedom and the non-aggression principle. And so if we package our ideas the right way, they're actually very appealing to a wide range of people when you don't have that alienating baggage of, you know, prostitution and drugs and legalized sex work and all the things that we love to kind of focus on because they're controversial and whatever. But well, I'm I mean, on a those are coming that, the second half of the season, I'm sure. Wait for know. later. The, yeah, the yeah, Tuttle yeah. Twins take on prostitution. <laughs> That's going to be on the adult version, Tuttle Twins After Dark. Oh, nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, what is the has the response been to these early episodes? I mean, have you talked to people that are outside of the libertarian sphere, not conservative, that have been like, look, I, I actually really like these. I enjoy it. I mean, do you feel it is opening up the doors for more conversation and a little bit more understanding because it's not so aggressive? Yeah, that, that's the key is that it's not aggressive. It's it's primarily a fun story with a little bit of educational stuff in there, whereas the books are more like idea focused and, and heavy with some fun story along the way. Um, and it's interesting right now with the first four episodes out, we're very much focused on marketing this primarily to the existing community of book readers to get them fully immersed in, hey, there's a cartoon, come watch it, tell your friends and leverage that kind of love group to go out and be our you know, ambassadors to many other people. And then in the next few weeks is actually when we're going to start transitioning into marketing the cartoon to entirely new people and have it be kind of that top of funnel strategy again of like, hey, you know, family, here's a, you're sick of, like you say, Sesame Street or Blue's Clues or whatever with yep. all this kind of garbage in it. Here's a cartoon that you can let your kids watch 14 times in a row and feel good about it because there's good values and, and intriguing ideas that will teach them. Um, so we're just now at the cusp of getting ready to start that kind of proactive uh, outreach to new audiences. Whereas, I mean, the love group loves it, right? They're like, they, nice. they've read all the books and their kids love it. And we have like maybe like three families who have reached out in the past few months who've been like, ah, oh, grandma's a little too crass for me. And there was a poop joke in there. And, you know, we've got some like very, like very, very minority of people who don't like the the angle of humor, but that humor is kind of intentional and it is a little bit sarcastic and witty, both for the adults and for the kids. So overall, the response has been phenomenal and it's just very motivating for the whole team involved to keep doing more. Well, I think you need that too. I mean, my favorite cartoons watching, I watched SpongeBob before I had a kid, mostly because the early episodes, they were written in a very specific way. It had a very, very specific voice and a funny, sarcastic way about it. You know, it was funny for the adults as well. Those little secret jokes, you know, the kids probably don't get, but the older people will appreciate. So I think that goes a long way towards making it something more appealing to adults because they, like I said, they feel good about it. They don't mind watching it with their kids. They can even explain more about the, you know, what's going on or the stories go deeper, which is good for interaction. 
and hopefully gets people off. You know, I know we want them to download the app, but hopefully that means you're watching with the kid rather than just fucking around in your own social media. (laughs) But um, one thing I wanted to to ask you as well, and then I want to ask you this question, and then I want to talk a little bit about advice you might have for other people that are looking to create content, and then we'll wrap it up because I don't want to take too much of your time up today. But do you think that content like you're creating, like having a cartoon like this, that's more explicitly, you know, teaching the ideas of freedom, of, of economics, of good laws, bad laws, et cetera, from our philosophy. Do you think that a lot of people are going to start to realize that they do have a lot more in common and do have a lot more in, in the value proposition that we have from the libertarian perspective than they realize? Because I see even in the Marvel movies, the Marvel films, a lot of them have very strong libertarian content. But your average Marvel fan and even the people writing it probably don't realize what they're writing. You know, they don't really know what they're appreciating. And something like this, I'm curious to see if you think that it's going to wake people up and if you think that the time is right and people are going to be migrating towards this way anyway. This this is a really intriguing question to me. Um, there's a group uh, called Fee Foundation for Economic Education, yeah, and what they've been what they've been good at in, in recent years is they'll take a Marvel movie and they'll say, "Here's kind of the free market," you know, uh, like when Thanos is trying to depopulate half the universe. Be like, you know, they can they can help explain and give context to those like hidden nuggets and elements that are in there. But you're right; like 99% of movie viewers would not walk away and say. I support the free market now. Right. You know, that movie convinced me. They don't even pick up on this stuff, which in my mind is a lost opportunity. Like, what's the point of putting these little Easter eggs in there, uh, even if they're intentional? As you point out, sometimes the writers may not even catch on to what they're doing. I, I mean, look, Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty is, was one of the most libertarian shows ever, at least the first couple seasons, if you're a fan of that show. And I know, you know Justin Har- or Dan Harmon and uh, what's the other guy, Justin Raymond or whatever, they're the least libertarian people in the world, but it's still in there. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so sometimes it's like inadvertent like that. I think our uh, approach certainly is to make it overt and explicit and be very upfront about what we're trying to do. We're not trying to deceive anyone be like, Oh, we're going to teach, you know, indoctrinate your kids and parents. You'll have no clue. No, we're like, if you agree with us and if you're intrigued by these ideas, you know, come watch this show, come read the books. And it's interesting because we've found that we've persuaded a ton of people. They hear from a mom in a church group or at their kids, you know, soccer club or whatever, about these books, and then they go get them based on that recommendation, like, oh, I need good books for my kids, or I need a Christmas present or whatever. They find themselves reading this material. We get messages like this all the time, that the especially the parents, but also the kids would be like, oh my gosh, I've like learned a ton, and maybe I'm libertarian. And, and a lot yeah, of right. times what happens, <laughs> a lot of times what happens is they'll say, well, I, I definitely lean more libertarian. I'm not all the way there. Everyone has their little hang up, right? Like yeah. drugs or whatever. And so they'll qualify it. They'll tell you that they're not fully libertarian. And yet we've moved them from like 40% to 85% or whatever, which in my mind is a tremendous success because you know, the running joke of like, you know, what's the difference between a, you know, conservative and a libertarian or a libertarian and an anarchist, or there's many variations of this joke. And the answer is like six months, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just like, <laughs> you know, taking someone from like a minarchist to a anarchist or whatever, right? Like it's all about everyone's on that journey. And you can't force anyone to have this massive conversion in a day. I know of no better resource, frankly, and I'll just be blunt. I'm clearly biased, but I know of no better resource than the Tuttle Twins to get people further on that journey in a shorter amount of time than what we're doing because it's non-threatening. It's not a textbook. It's not talking about prostitution and crazy stuff that gets people to put their barriers up. If anything, the reason why it's so successful is that we knock barriers down because we're telling mom, 
We're telling dad, hey, here's something you can read together with your kids. You love your kids. You want them to be educated. You don't want them to miss out. You don't want them to not be well-rounded. So get this book. You're going to need it. And then you sit down. It's fully illustrated. It's fun. You watch the show. You all have a laugh together. And those, those defensive barriers come down where we're able to plant some of these seeds and make arguments where we see all the time people are like, oh, I never really thought about it that way. And then those wheels start turning and give them a few months, let them see a new news story that outrages them and that finally pushes them over the edge. But this is moving people very fast. And it's why to your earlier kind of question and, and part of the discussion, this idea of art and culture is so critical because I feel like it's an accelerant. For like, we're never going to say, here's economics in one lesson, sit down and let's talk about it, right? But you watch um, John Popola's videos on uh, Keynes and Hayek, the rap, right? Where it's just this fun, edgy thing. And people are learning about free market economics and you're pitting these two kind of philosophies or perspectives together. And that sticks in people's minds. They're repeating the song. They're thinking about the visuals. It's projects like that, like the Tuttle Twins and others that we need because it's going to be far more sticky than anything else we're trying to do. Yeah, and it is kind of funny. I was just thinking about the old adage, you know, they're coming for your kids, right? That's what they say anytime there's this content they go after, you know, go towards kids that has some sort of ideological base behind it. But the secret is you're actually coming for the adults through the kids in this, you know, in a lot of ways in this instance. And that's what's so funny about it is that, like you're talking about, the parents are unassuming, they're taking it, it's not aggressive, and they're learning along with the kids. And that is a beautiful thing and pretty amazing. Totally. So what advice would you give people then if there's somebody out there, you know, they want to make a, a TV show, they want to write a book, they want to do some way. What would the advice that you could give them be having done it now? You have a very successful company. You have, you know, you're selling millions of books. You have a TV show now that's being produced. These are this is an amazing success story. So what would you tell people, you know, what, how to get started and advice on just kind of, I guess, staying the course? I think. Any successful content creator would say that persistence is key. Uh, I watched a video the other day by Mr. Beast, who I think at this point is like the most famous YouTuber. And uh, and he was talking about how he you know, became so famous and so successful. And he was going through all the stories of all the crappy videos he did at the beginning and just trying to like experiment and come up with stuff. And he talks about like, look, had I quit at any point, I never would have seen success. I had no idea at that point what I was doing. It was all about experimentation and innovation and failing and trying and learning. And uh, and then the persistence, like I read another thing from a, a, an author who talked, he writes on, um, on medium.com. And uh, he talked about how for every article he wrote, it was like this logarithmic exponential rise in his follower account, which he could then monetize and become financially successful. And it was the compounding effect of just the persistence of writing. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I mean, I've written 31 books, 20 something of them are tw- Tuttle Twins books. Like I know producing content is hard, but I am a big believer in the persistence element because like not every project is going to succeed, but you can roll over that failure and that like, okay, that didn't work, but I can kind of adapt some of that and apply it over here. Um, I, I think for me in reflection of how we got here with the Tuttle Twins, it very much is this thing of persistence. Like we didn't know if there was a market out there. We didn't know if anyone would like what we're doing. No one knew there, there was no Tuttle Twins brand. No one knew what this was. Yeah. There was no word of mouth. There was no nothing. I would go booth at homeschool conventions and Freedom Fest and flag people down and say like, hey, come look <laughs> at this kid book. Like you just got to go through the slog. But like anything else, it just starts compounding. That snowball goes down the hill. Um, so to anyone out there thinking about doing a project, like it's, you're not going to succeed at first. It's going to be hard, hard work, but man, stick with it because I've seen the blessing of persistence and the ability to just look back and say, 
all those early efforts, planting all those seeds. I had to wait a little while, but my gosh, they've matured into some you know amazing growth for what we're doing. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, thank you, Connor. This has been a joy to talk to you, and uh, I look forward to watching the rest of the episodes and bringing my, as I said, bringing my daughter into the fold of the Tuttle Twins. Maybe probably about a year from now, I think she'll actually be able to understand and uh, and 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 I can talk her through some things. <laughs> well, we have toddler books now. We have board books oh, for toddlers, okay. so well, so per- perfect Christmas. gift for the little ones. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. I will definitely be ordering some. Okay, guys, Connor Boyack, you've uh, you know, famous for the Tuttle Twins. Check out the, the first two episodes at least are on live stream on YouTube right now. You can check them out, and of course, you can get the Angel Studios app is where you can get the full series as it comes out. Correct. That's correct. Yep. And you can go to TuttleTwinsTV.com as a little shortcut for that. And if you're looking for the books, those are all at TuttleTwins.com. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening and keep up the good work. I, uh, I'm excited to see what you have in store for us. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. You too. All right. So there you go. Pretty interesting stuff. And, you know, as I said, interesting transition. You have one man who is reaching parents through kids, reaching adults, through children, and yes, to make a terrible segue, <laughs> let's now talk a little bit about the Maxwell trial. Jis- Jelaine Gillane Maxwell, I call her Jislaine Maxwell for obvious reasons, into her trial, wherein, coincidentally, the government, you know, notoriously, one of the government agencies has been linked, I think it was pre- predominantly the, uh, the CIA, was linked with Jeffrey Epstein using children, once again, to get to adults in a much more nefarious fashion, which were underhanded in horrible fashion. But I just want to talk about a couple of aspects in that trial about the lead prosecutor on it and about the media coverage or lack of media access. But before I do, guys, I want to tell you about an awesome event coming up. This is called Discover 2022. And it's from our pal, Jason Stapleton. Of course, you know him for wealth, power, and influence. He has been a good friend of mine. I was at the man's wedding, for Christ's sake. But a great friend of mine, but an inspirational friend of mine. Somebody that whenever I hang out with him, it makes me want to do more. It makes me want to be better. And he actually has a seminar called Discover 2022. It's free. You can unlock your hidden talents, your skills, your passions, your abilities. Because a lot of times people ask us, right? And yes, we are, we, we're talking about making our own, uh, you know, platform and, and teaching to tell you guys how to do you know, podcasting, branding, et cetera, because my background's in PR. So I know just how valuable a course like this is, but he's going to teach you how to tap into what you like, what you enjoy, what your skills are to actually create businesses, create entrepreneurial opportunities to help you find that path for yourself that's going to make you um, far more successful, not only in your current career, but in any career you might want to start. Your What's your intellectual currency, right, is the way we're going to call it. So anyway, I won't, uh, I won't bore you with more details than that, but you want to join this up. It's a free event. You can go to Stapleton Agency. I'll spell it out for you. Stapleton, S-T-A-P-L-E-T-O-N-A-G-E-N-C-Y, stapletonagency.com forward slash discover dash lions. Once again, www.stapletonagency.com forward slash discover dash lions. All right, go there. I'll put that in the show notes. You can find it and all that good stuff. So coming back in just to, to wrap this show out, I won't take too long on this because, uh, you know, I had the interview already, but Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, whatever you want to call her, she is on trial, finally on trial. However, unlike the trials of Kyle Rittenhouse, unlike the trials of all these other very high profile, right, very divisive, very inflammatory 
circumstances. And it's hard to find something that was more inflammatory than Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, a man who I have no problem with him getting off. As he said, I, I thought he was well within his right to self-defense. However, you have people that are calling it racial. You have people that are calling it white supremacy, people that are calling it some sort of, uh, of, of you know attack on gun rights or a victory for gun rights or that nobody should be able to defend themselves. I mean, there were so many things wrapped into this one circumstance that it was the most inflammatory circumstance, the most inflammatory trial you could have. And yet they had cameras in the courtroom. They had shots being taken in the courtroom. They had live reporting in the courtroom that they could cut to at any point in time and tell you exactly what was going on with Kyle Rittenhouse. Notably, Kyle Rittenhouse is on the stage crying, or on the stand crying. He's on the stage. Uh, acting? No, I don't think he was acting. But he's on the stand. He's crying, thinking about how he killed these people. He's crying when he got off. That, we've been denied in this, in this Maxwell trial. Right? So while people can talk about Kyle Rittenhouse and how he is clearly acting or clearly being honest, you know, we can examine every tear that rolls down his little chubby cheeks. We can't see this monstrous woman who has been quite credibly accused of and most likely will be convicted of pedophilia, enabling child prostitution, child sex trafficking. I mean, all sorts of the most heinous crimes imaginable. Crimes that get you beaten to death in prison on day number one. But the judge in this case decided, oh, that's too inflammatory. All right? Too inflammatory. We're talking about the time in which we just completed a trial coming out of massive riots that were based around race and class and everything else. Massive riots. The most expensive riots in the history of the country. Billions upon billions of dollars of damage done to private companies, to public companies, to individuals. People had been killed in the streets. People were shot. People were beaten. You had city blocks taken over during these riots. And now you have a trial that's tapping into all of that fervor. But that's not inflammatory enough that they want to keep the cameras out. But no, you get into this. You get into this where you've got the elites. You've got the Bill Clintons of the world, right? And, and a pilot that flew all these aircraft to Epstein Island, the Lolita Express pilot. He came out and he said, yeah, Donald Trump's on the plane. Bill Clinton's on the plane. Name names. Hillary Clinton's on the plane. He named all the big names. Now, the Clintons and their, and their press people had denied vehemently that Bill was on this plane before, mind you, even though it's been confirmed by 50 different witnesses that he's on the plane. So because you have all these, these, all these elites, all these people that are high power, that they're too... In, too embedded in the power structures of the United States, right? In the Embedded with the people that make our decisions, that control our lives. As much as we like to think that they don't, but they control, they pull the strings of so many institutions that have an impact on your life definitively. Because those are the people that are involved. Well, that's too inflammatory. We can't have a, a circumstance where we have a, a French revolution going on. We can't have a new Bastille day going on here. We can't have any circumstances where we bring the guillotines out for these folks. Of course not. It's too inflammatory for the average American. It's too sensational. Even though one man's sensational is another man's good reporting. And it shows you just how poisonous the media environment has become in regards to how media is treated, how media treats the, the anybody that's on the left-hand sphere, which, of course, Epstein, uh, the Clintons, they are definitively in the left-hand sphere. Although I'm sure this net captured people on both sides. You know, when you talk about 
getting people on camera, getting people recorded in instances or blackmail, which is what many people, including myself, think that Epstein was doing and why he was tied in with the Mossad, why he was tied in with the CIA, was for blackmail, for people to have credible reasons to force people in these high positions of power to operate as they like. Well, I mean, once you have these people out there, now, right, is when the media, they'll just let that go. Like they don't want to. They don't want to get all riled up about access to that, because you know that's not sensational. Well, we just have to let this this court happen. Meanwhile, they're out there talking about Kyle Rittenhouse, talking about how he's a white supremacist, talking about how he went out with the intent to murder and kill. But no, no, no. It's it's hands off when it comes to Maxwell and what's going on here. Now, on top of this ridiculousness of not being allowed to come in and see what's happening in the courtroom and let cameras in there, they also have the most suspicious person you could possibly have heading up the prosecution. Now, it's a 32-year-old woman, girl, some would say, right? So I'm, uh, I'm about to turn 42, and I know how young I was at 32. 32-year-old is the lead prosecutor in this case. Now, that is enough to raise eyebrows, right? Because you say, okay, why is somebody so young taking the lead on this? That seems a bit insane. Wouldn't you want somebody that was far more tenured in this? Wouldn't you want somebody that's had a lot more experience with this? Wouldn't you want somebody that might have a little bit better perspective on this than a 32-year-old who had only joined the uh, what is it, the Southern District of New York's Attorney General's office as of 2013, right? So she's got some experience there, but a lot of organized crime cases, which I guess this falls under in some way. But, you know, Despite that, despite the, the questions you might have about a 32-year-old and if that's in the best person they could put forward to take on a case that had this much riding on it, well, she just happens to be James Comey's daughter. Yes, former FBI director slash Trump blackmailer slash notable steel dossier peddler, James Comey. Yep, the same one, the same guy who had gone to Donald Trump and told him that there were videos of prostitutes peeing on him and that this was very credible news and basically tried to get him in trouble with all these sexual uh, relevations, accusations, whatever they might be, that all proven to be absolutely nothing. We know that now. Well, James Coney's daughter now. Now, this is without a doubt nepotism, but it just comes as a real shocker, doesn't it, that... That of all the people that could be involved in this, of all the people they could pick to go after this associate, this is who they come up with. It almost seems like they want her to fail. And that's my intent, or that she is probably going to be a little bit more inclined to fail, knowing that she is tied in with this person who was at the top of the top, who was tied in with the Clintons. And we know that James Comey was clearly tied in trying to help the Clintons out. We know that he he and his staff were talking. There were people colluding behind the scenes about Donald Trump. Uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now. It was some some weird name and his, you know, his paramour who was an attorney and they were texting back and forth about this. So we know that these people are predisposed to be Clinton fans, that they were in the Clinton camp, that they were rooting and fighting for the Clintons, despite the fact that they were supposed to be working for Donald Trump this entire time. And now 
they're the ones, the Comey family happened to be the ones going after and prosecuting Maxwell. And if she happens to fail miserably in her job, whoops, what's the worst? Oh, well, it turns out that the Clintons maybe weren't so bad that, oh, this is all, we, you know, we couldn't prove anything because Epstein quote unquote killed himself. And now Maxwell, well, we couldn't prove anything there either. So I guess the Clintons, I mean, we can't credibly show that they were involved in anything either. If we can't convict Maxwell, then how can we convict the Clintons by association? And wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't it be something if the Clintons got away with something else? I mean, wow. Just wow, 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 wow. So I'll leave you guys to think about that. Again, I'd like to thank Connor Boyack for coming in. I do apologize that this episode, which we, you know, so much positivity about the Tuttle Twins show, about creating content, about uh, affecting and impacting people, and especially adults through getting through where they're not going to have their defenses up. That was a beautiful story. And now we have to sully it with this Maxwell news. But that is the cycle. I can't control the news cycle. I can only control what I can do in so far as taking you guys through this pathway to liberty, showing you the way forward and helping you to help yourselves. And by virtue of that, help everybody around you because we know that liberty spreads like a wildfire or like electricity through the currents in the pond, frying up all them fishes. <laughs> hey guys, don't forget, by the way, support us on Patreon. Oh, look, I even made a banner for you. Look, you can support us on Patreon. Look at that. You can get all our bonus content. Not only that, you can get discounts on our merch, our fantastic shirts. You can see I'm wearing my wax on Tax Off, Mr. Miyagi shirt, one of our favorite, one of our best-selling shirts. It's hilarious. People enjoy it. And, of course, we've got our Merry Taxation is Death mug, which you don't have to go to the Patreon to get that, by the way. You can go to lionsofliberty.store. You can buy your mug. Get it now because it's going to take a little while to ship if you want to get it before Christmas. It makes an amazing gift, by the way. So for you, for a loved one, if you're a wife shopping for a husband or a husband shopping for a wife, get it now. And uh, and hopefully t-shirts because with the supply chain issues, it's been a bitch to keep t-shirts in stock. But we do still have a bunch in there you can buy for the whole family. So check that out, lionsofliberty.store. And come give us a gift at the end of the year for thanking us for doing everything we do here, guys. It's a It is a grind. It is a grind to keep continuously putting out this content we do three times a week for you. So it would be nice to get a little uh, little stocking stuffer from you guys at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty or Lions of Liberty dot locals. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right, guys. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, I want you to always stay plugged in to Liberty. 